0: I like the fact that I can introduce myself. I'm Willie. Welcome to everyone in person and online. And I'm a volunteer at SunWest like uh, like you are. And uh, this is the first time that I get to speak uh, here, I guess, as a volunteer, which is awesome. Uh, But also, it's the first time I get to speak on the topic of generosity as a volunteer, not as a pastor. So, just like you, uh, I have a job outside of the church. And my wife and I need to consider our giving and our generosity and our living uh, just like every Christ follower does. And so I'm excited to preach about that. And, uh, and I've often said for years, I love speaking on money. People go, why do you like preaching on money? Isn't that awkward? I go, no, no, everybody's listening. It's the one topic, everyone's listening. It's great. You know, they're not gonna fall asleep on this one because they're curious or they're wondering what is going to be said uh, about money. Now, Pastor Matt, for the last couple of weeks, has done a great job of teaching us on money. And often he started off with, you know, if this is your first time here and you're going, oh, great, the church is talking about money. Uh, He's right. We don't talk about money all the time. But uh, money is a very important topic to speak about. And we know that because Jesus talked about it so much. Uh, He probably talked about money almost more than anything else. So, well, why would he do that? Well, whether you're in living in the first century or the 21st century, money is something that has always grabbed the hold of humanity. Uh, wealth is something that sort of has a stranglehold on us. Why? Because wealth and finance represents pretty much everything that humanity holds dear. It can get tied to identity. It gets tied to control. It gets tied to opportunity. It gets tied to comfort, it gets tied to uh, feeling significance and satisfaction in life. It gets tied to all the basic drivers that we have as people. It gets tied to influence, it gets tied to power. Everything that drives us, and Jesus knew that. So it didn't matter if you're a first century Jew who's he primarily speaking to, or a 21st century Canadian. The same principles apply. The same issues apply. The same struggles apply. So over the past uh, couple of weeks, Pastor Matt taught us a biblical perspective on giving. And last week in particular, we're talking about tithing. Uh, And tithing is just a term that's used uh, often in Christian circles because it means 10%. And often that is what is talked about giving as a rule of thumb. And that was explained so well last week. But today, my goal is to show us and for us to understand what should drive our giving and the impact of that on our lives and how it reflects God's heart for us and for the world around us. So that's my goal for us today, that we're going to walk through that. So I have a question to begin. What is the most defining characteristic of Jesus's uh, relationship with us? What is the thing about Jesus that we observed in His life over and over and over and over? I'm going to answer the question with another question. What is the most Googled Bible passage uh, around the world? What verse in the Bible, according to uh, search engines, is the top verse that is ever Googled? John three sixteen. For God loved the world so much that he gave.
1: The expression
0: of God's love is generosity. And of course, he gave what was most dear to him, which was Jesus. That was the thing that he gave that was most important to him. But it is the thing that defines who Jesus is and who his father is, is generosity. From the beginning of time, you read through, through the Bible, beginning to end, and it is marked by the generosity of God, the generosity of Christ. It happens again and again and again. The heart of God is to be generous. The acts of God are acts of generosity. The forgiveness of God is an act of generosity. The life of Christ is an act of generosity. The teaching of Christ is a message of generosity. Extending forgiveness is an act of generosity. Giving us the Holy Spirit, if you walk in relationship with Jesus, is an act of generosity. Over and over and over. So, given that, the hallmark of Jesus' life is an act of generosity, is being generous. What is the one thing that people who claim to follow Jesus What is the one thing that we can do that we've already been told to do uh, in the Bible? What is the one thing that we can do that would encourage people, that would change the world situation, that would dramatically impact people globally? It's the one thing that that we've been told to do. It's the one thing that we can do. It's the one thing that's been modeled for us to do.
1: It's give money. It's give money.
0: It's shown up to us over and over and over. Now, we know from Pastor Matt that there's a, this description of biblical generosity. And of course, the Jewish community, uh, they were, uh, if you, you add up all the things that they would give, the different festivals and so on, it, it's about 23% a year. So if you actually dial that back to tithing or giving 10%, here's what could happen. And I couldn't find Canadian stats on this, but I could find American stats on this. So according to research, in 2021, American Christians earned 5.2 trillion dollars. What's 10% of 5.2 trillion dollars? I had to do math on that to think that's a lot of zeros. Right? 520 billion dollars. That's tithing. That's just the American Christian. World
1: hunger, done. Clean water, done. Housing, done. Like, take whatever issues you want. And if God's people tithe, it changes the world overnight. Which is something we've already been told to do. Which is to give
0: generously. So point number one, and you're going to have to stick with me this morning because my points are going to contradict each other. I'll warn you right now. Point number one is it's all about money. Point number one is it's all about money. Now, I know that I'm contradicting what Pastor Matt said last week. Right? That's not what he talked about. But my first point is that it's all about money. Why? Because nothing shapes our lives. Uh, Nothing is more dear to us, as I said earlier, Nothing is that are we concerned about more for most people than our wealth. Than our income. That shapes us more. We're more concerned about it. We're more preoccupied with it. We worry about it more. We all have hopes and dreams around it.
1: That's why lotteries are so popular.
0: As a side note. I can't remember, I don't know the most current statistic, but it was, uh, I was talking to my finance guy uh, recently, and I said, you know, I remember reading a thing about what percentage of Canadians' retirement plan is to win the lottery. And it's a crazy high number. That's the retirement plan. You should be laughing, because it's scary. If that's your plan, uh, you need to go to our class that was announced earlier. But nothing shapes us more than money, I actually believe that money is the number one spiritual formation tool in our spiritual tool belt. Now that may shock some of you. You might think, well, I thought Bible reading would be or prayer would be or something like that. I actually think it's money. And the reason I think it's money is because Jesus talks about it that way. But when something has that great an influence on us, If God does not speak into that, if God is not forming that part of our lives, if we're holding that apart from him, he actually cannot speak into the deepest parts of us. Because the thing that gives us security and peace and satisfaction and identity and all that stuff is being held away from him. It's also the area of life that we hold most private. It's a thing that we don't want to talk about. It's a thing that we don't want to discuss. Our view of God and money will shape us profoundly. It changes how we live. It impacts how we pray. It impacts how we make decisions. It impacts how we parent. It impacts every corner of our lives. It impacts how we think about church budgets, how we think about ministry budgets. All those things are wrapped up in this. It impacts how we're going to have a covenant community meeting uh, next Sunday when it comes to the finance report. It goes through every, every area about our lives. And Jesus knew about this, and that's why he spoke about it so often. And that's why he said in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For, one, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved To money.
1: Notice he doesn't say you cannot serve God and have money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It
0: can't own you. Money cannot own your soul. It cannot own who you are. That's the dark side of money. So what's the upside of money? Well, I talked about how it can change the world. How it can change everything around us. When we say, God, everything I have is from you. I recognize that. The ability to make money, all my stuff, everything I have is from you. So how do you want me to manage the things that you've given me? What do you want me to do with that, Lord? What do you want me to do with everything that you've given me to look after? And it's in that place where finances can go from bondage to joy, from fear to faith. From wondering if we always have enough to be able to be able to live with open hands.
1: Wondering how we can bless others in the name of God.
0: See, giving is never to be legalistic or formulaic. That's not what generous generosity is about. That's not the heart of God. So we see generosity in action in the book of Acts chapter 4. And uh, in Acts chapter 4 verse 32, it says... All the believers were united in heart and mind. So Acts four thirty-two begins with saying, "Oh, they're all believing. They were all united in heart and mind." So what united them? What united them? Well, it was in just the previous couple of chapters, Peter preaches the first sermon of the of the of the church, the new church that gets established in Jerusalem, and people are so transformed by their experience of the resurrection and transforming work of Jesus Christ. And when, they, and when they hear the first sermon, they say, what should we do? And Peter says, tells them to repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn. It means to ask God's forgiveness for having pushed him out of your life. Ask God's forgiveness for having rejected him and his forgiveness. Whether you just ignored it. You say, well, I didn't reject anything intentionally. But maybe you just ignored it. And Jesus says, I want, or Peter says, I want you to repent. To turn away from that enough to change your behavior. And then he tells them, I want you to put your faith in Jesus, go get baptized, and follow him. Because baptism is the outward expression of the inner reality of this new life in Jesus Christ. So they are united by this common experience that they had with Jesus. That is what transformed them. And then it goes on to say, in verse 32, And they felt that what they, because of that, they felt well what they owned was not their own. Isn't that interesting? Because they have this common experience of meeting Jesus, the emotional response to that is everything that they had, it says they felt. It was this thing. It's not they were taught. It's not the apostles taught them it's not their own. It's like this spontaneous response to meeting Jesus was generosity. They felt that what they had was not their own, is what the text tells us. It's interesting when you feel something uh, is not yours to control or to own or to hang on to, it's so much easier to live freely and generously. So they were so transformed by this common experience with Jesus that it moved them emotionally to go, oh, all my stuff is not my stuff. All my money is not my money. You know, it's interesting when you feel like it's not mine, it's actually somebody else's it's so much easier to give it away. You ever notice that? For those of you who have like kids, you know, teenagers, really easy for them to give your stuff away. When I was a kid, I was constantly, uh, back then you had to like get a you know, landline, but I was in high school, I was constantly, because uh, I played volleyball in our team, you know, you have your evening practices and you got to eat in between. Often that like five o'clock, mom got some friends coming over for supper. Is that okay? We're on our way. We'll be there in five minutes. I would really easy forgive away my mom's time and, and food. My mom always said, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's great. Come on. And I didn't realize till later on as my kids were doing that. But man, I did that a lot. I was really easy for, give, for me to give away my parents' stuff. Because it wasn't mine. And God says to us, you know what? Everything I've given you, it's not yours, but I've given you to manage it. And I realized it's so much easier to give away my stuff when I realize it's actually not mine. It's actually not mine. It's the father's. So the result was they shared everything they had. And it's interesting. Here's what it says the apostles were teaching in verse 33. It says, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There's no, no mention of them teaching about what to do with their stuff. The apostles just kept drawing them back to the generous heart of God over and over and over. And their response was to be generous out of that. So then it says there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles uh, to give to those in need. Now, some people go, that's, you know, good Westerners go, especially conservatives. Well, that sounds like communism and you know, that sounds terrible and, I want you to understand what happened here. The apostles were teaching the beauty and wonder and glory of God through the work of Jesus. This was spontaneous, sacrificial generosity. No one was saying to them, here, this is what you have to do now to be part of this community. There was no forced giving. Now, this is a Jewish community. So if they were faithful Jews, they were giving 23% roughly. So this is on top of that. They're doing this
1: on top of that. Spontaneous sacrificial
0: generosity. It is just a beautiful thing that was happening. So that means they walked into the room, their synagogue, as they were still meeting and they're in people's homes, eating together and having the Lord's supper together. And they're looking around going, oh, I see a need. You know what? I can't, I'm going to go sell this thing, and I'm going to go bring the bring my money. And it says they just dropped it at the apostles' feet. They weren't trying to control who got it, how it was distributed. They just went, "God move me to get rid of this," because I see needs in our community. You guys know the community. Here you go. Do with it what you think
1: best. Living free, generous
0: lives is what they're doing. It wasn't a program. It wasn't a teaching. It wasn't transactional. In other words, I'm going to get, give money so God blesses me more. It was God has blessed me through Jesus. So I'm just going to be generous the way God has been generous with me. It's just this beautiful community where they recognized that everything was, they had was not their own. It was God's. And they were just managing it. So what do we do as people when we're left to our own devices? This is research I could find. What is the Canadian attitude towards giving and charity? Not the church attitude, but the Canadian attitude. So I looked this up, and according to to a 2021 report from the Fraser Institute, they could track 2019 giving based on Canada, uh, Stats Canada. Uh, And this was sobering. 2019, 19% of Canadian tax filers uh, gave to charity. So that was on there. So this doesn't include money that was given where there was no tax receipt or, you know, those kinds of things. So real giving was a little higher than this, but this is what the CRA has. 19%. And what do you think they gave on average of their income? Those 19% of people who gave and got a tax receipt for it. 0.53%.
1: Okay, half of 1% is what Canadians gave in 2019. The church stats are that Christians generally give about two to three, maybe 4%. That's the Canadian giving uh, statistics uh, that I could look up.
0: I find it interesting. We're willing to go, uh, Canadians in general. we're willing to go protest about what should happen with the environment or what shouldn't be done or some social cause or all those kinds of things. But generally what our disposition seems to be is we'll go protest, but the government should pay for it. Because giving by these stats, we're obviously not putting our money where our mouth is in general as a country. Which I found quite sobering.
1: I found that quite sobering. But that's what happens, I think,
0: when the transforming reality of Jesus Christ is not at the center of our giving. I think that's what happens then. So first point is, it's all about the money because giving changes everything. So here's my second point. It's not about the money at all. I told you I was going to contradict myself. First point, it's all about the money. Second point, it's not about the money at all. And and even though... We know that giving money will clothe people, house people, feed people, give people clean water. It'll do all kinds of things. We have millions of people being displaced around the world that need help with all the conflicts that are going on, with all the persecution that's going on. So why is it not about the money at all now? I want to tell you a story about this church. In 2005, uh, we were uh, outgrowing our facilities at Midsun Community Center and the school beside that and the school beside that. And so we were looking for a place to meet and Centennial High School had opened recently and uh, they had decided to start renting it out. So we were, made the decision to go become completely portable, 100% portable and uh, move into the high school. So we hired a company called Portable Church Industries who specializes in churches that are going portable uh, with systems and this is how you do it, this is how it works well, how you do your teams and so on. So we flew them up to consult with us and uh, in the meetings, I asked the leader there. I said, "Okay, so a church our size, how much money should we spend on doing this?" And he said, "Well, generally churches your size, I would spend less than seventy thousand dollars. It's kind of piecemeal, and you're still carrying stuff piece by piece from the cars or whatever you're getting stuff from." But he said, "If you spend more than two hundred fifty thousand, it might be a problem." I went, "Excuse me? You got to explain this to me." He said, "Well, this is what we've observed from the hundreds of churches that we've worked with." is when a church spends less than 70,000, it's half-baked, it's never good enough uh, in what they're doing, and people are frustrated. But a church this size, if you spend more than a quarter million, you may have problems. Well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is because you are well-resourced, you will think that any problem you run into, the answer to your problem is money. He said they don't pray,
1: they don't step out in faith the same way, they just throw money at the problem. And I remember that and I went, that's a keeper. That
0: is a keeper. Because so often, especially I think in a Western capitalistic world, we think money's the answer. If we just had more money, we could. And then fill in the blank. And they said, no, it's not about the money. Remember point one, money reveals all all our priorities, all the things that we hold dear, all those kinds of things. Well, it also reveals our expectations of
1: God. If we hold money dear,
0: what are the prayers we pray, the thoughts we think, the things we try and negotiate with God? How transactional do we become? When we say, well, God, I'm serving, so therefore you should. Or God, I did all this work. Why is this bad thing happening to me? Right? It becomes very transactional. Whereas the giving in the first church was not transactional, it was transformational. They were so transformed by the generosity of God through the work of Jesus that they gave. It was a natural response. It was a transformational response. That's what they were doing. So, how does this play out? Familiar verse. If you've read your New Testament too often or often, you'll have read this Matthew 6, verse 28. It says, And why worry about uh, your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers uh, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly thought. Father, excuse me, already knows all your deeds. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So he's saying, focus on God's kingdom and bring everything else in line behind that. And when we we begin by focusing on God's kingdom, then our prayers begin with, God, what is it that your priorities are for me today? What is it that your priorities are for our finances? God, what is it your priorities are for our time? God, what is it your priorities are for our lives personally and for our lives as a faith community? That is the constant prayer. God, what is your priorities for the resources you've given me? I think another part of that prayer is also, God, you know my needs. God, I want to honor you with everything I have. But you know that we're short at the end of the month. God, you know we have these bills coming in. God, you know our car just broke down. God, you know our, these appliances just broke down. God, you know the reality of what I'm dealing with. I want to follow you, Lord, but you got to come and speak into this. I need you to come and speak into this. Please meet my needs. See, it's not ignoring that. It's putting it in its rightful place under the kingdom of God. So in 2010, uh, my wife and I, Gwen and I decided to like attack our finances. And historically, my wife and I have quite a different uh, approach to money. Uh, One of us is a saver. The other one's not. Uh, (laughs) You know, one of us likes keeping the books and keeping everything in order. The other one true confession. Me is like, yeah, it'll work out. It's fine. You know, God's got this. Uh, and, uh, and so we went, you know what? We need to get after this. And uh, so the first thing we did in 2010, we said, okay, we're going to track, we've got to get a picture of reality. We started tracking everything that we spent. Let's get a picture. Is my idea of reality actually reality? And of course it never is when it comes to our finances. So we started pursuing that. And getting a picture of reality, started working on budgets, started reading on uh, things like you would read, you would get in our course that SunWest provides. And we started just going after, we said, we are going after this. And we got a little ruthless uh, going after it. And and we had a significant amount of consumer debt and, and it took us three years to get that down to zero, to get our consumer debt down to zero. And while our financial picture improved drastically, I think what was of even greater benefit was our saving, our spending, our giving changed, and it was not just the habits that changed, it was the heart that changed. Now you could, you could spend and give and save and plan without this emotional baggage that can so often come with this stuff. All those things could happen much more freely, much more joyfully. And 12 years later, I can say it's probably the best thing we ever did for our marriage, for our giving, for our spending. It put us in so much better of a place in all areas. And it actually prepared us when we moved to BC. We were there for the last five years. So if we could have taken our house and chaparral that we had and moved it to Burnaby where we lived, it would have been worth five times as much. Same footprint. So of course... So when we moved there, we went down in square footage um, 60% and up in price 50%. That's a terrible ratio if you don't understand ratios, by the way. (laughs) You really don't want to do it. It was fun coming back here, let me tell you. The stress just goes, (laughs) it was so much better. But our habits going into it actually prepared us for that. And we did not know we were going to be moving there. Which leads me to another issue that I want to speak about, which in one sense has everything to do with money and nothing to do with money. We are driven in the West by individualism. And I say, well, what's individualism got to do with money? If remember back to what happened in Acts chapter four, there was no need among them, which means they lived in community. What does individualism do by the very nature of that word? It pulls you away from community. That's what it does. And then there's a particular Calgarian form of individualism. And if you haven't lived anywhere else, you, don't, you won't know it because this is all you know. Here's my definition of Calgary, Calgarian individualism. If the government would just leave us alone and we work hard, we'll be fine. That is a Calgarian mindset. That is not the mindset necessarily of the rest of Canada, by the way. But it, it, is, it, it is, I noticed it when I moved here in the early 90s, it's just part of who we are. We want to work hard. That's why people come here. It attracts those kind of people. And we say, you know, just less government and we work hard. We're good. In fact, government, you don't have to do anything for us. Just don't get in our way. You prefer if you just don't get in our way. Right? That's how we kind of function. So, individualism is this core belief that I am my own person, that I get to do what I want to do, that, and, and the 21st century version of individualism is that. If you are my friend, you will support everything I do. If you question what I do, you're actually
1: not my friend. How do you do community with that? How do you do community with that? How do you follow Jesus with that? Doesn't work. It doesn't work. But that is the individualism that is
0: running rampant right now. Now, we do have a responsibility for ourselves. First uh, Timothy says, anyone who neglects care for family members in need repudiates the faith. That's worse than refusing to believe in the first place. So Paul is telling Timothy, this is what you need to teach to your church, right? We do have responsibility for ourselves. But, and this is a big but, the very way of us experiencing God's gener- generosity which happened in that first century church and is just as true today is that actually live in real community. It doesn't mean you got to sell everything and come drop it at the feet of the elders or the leaders of leadership team here at SunWest, but it does mean that if you actually have need and you do not live in community and no one knows about your need because you're too proud or too stubborn or too individualistic, and I'm guilty of all of those, by the way, you know, my Protestant work ethic coming from Germans and Mennonite and all this stuff, like it's way up here, right? And, and there's pride in there. You know what pride looks like? I'll help you, but I'm good. Right? That's false humility. I like like, you know, I'll, I'm very willing to help you, but no, I'm fine. I don't need help. That's just
1: pride. That's all that is. Because we all need help at some point.
0: But if you don't actually walk in community, you actually cannot experience God's generosity. It's impossible because you're actually
1: limiting it. We struggle with this
0: so much. I struggle with this so much. We don't understand what it means to be transparent and vulnerable. What's the difference between those two? Transparency is here's what's going on in my life, but it ends there. Vulnerability is, will you please speak
1: into it? You get the difference? Transparency is just information but there's still some nice walls put up. Vulnerability actually says, I need you. I need God's wisdom
0: and I know God will speak through you because that's what God does. Regardless of area of life. And when Gwen and I went after our finances, talked to trusted friends and said, here's our finances. And I went to people who I trust and people who've been in our lives and people who, uh, who I go, you know what? I think they're pretty good with money. I think they have gifts I don't have. And so we would sit down, and I'd just say, here's the books. What do you think?
1: Here's our habits. Doesn't mean we did everything they did, but we talked it through. We talked it through. If you want to experience the goodness and beauty of God, you
0: actually have to fight against the individualism of our day and be in community that is transparent and vulnerable. We did a thing, uh, I couldn't remember the year. And we haven't taken public offerings at SunWest other than uh, Christmas basically forever since the day we started. But felt, the Lord felt, uh, felt led to do this. This was in our theater days. And I can't remember the season. I don't remember the date. I just remember the event. So if someone remembers later on, you can tell me. Uh, but we had an offering piece. And actually this time we actually passed buckets around. Um, and the buckets were at the front of the theater on the stage, and then I said, okay, here's what we're going to do today. As we're, I said this prior to the offering, I said, if you have, give, if you need, take. If you have, give, if you need, take. People looked at the front, went, what? Are you crazy? So, no, that's what we're going to do. But I said, I know our community, we're basically a middle-class community. So I knew no one, I knew no one was going to take. So then I said this, I said, okay, Those of you who know other people in our congregation here who are in need, I want you to to tap them on the shoulder and say, let's go.
1: And you're going to go take for them. And then people started coming down. And I saw people weeping. As their friends went, went, you know what, I know your story. Let's go.
0: They took money out of the bucket and went, here you go. Now, I don't know if that covers, is covered under CRA or anything else. <laughs> I just know it was a powerful moment. It was a powerful moment. And we weren't trying to control it. And my Protestant work ethic wasn't going, you know, are you sure you need that money? Can you prove to me that you're going to use it well? Right? That's, which is control, by the way. That's not, we say it's good stewardship. It's actually just control.
1: It was a powerful thing. So first of all, it's
0: all about the money because money changes the world. Secondly, it's not about the money at all. It's about a kingdom reality and a kingdom perspective. Lastly, we need to live like Jesus lives so we can give like Jesus gives. We need to live like Jesus lives. Not past tense, I'm talking present tense so that we can give like Jesus gives. And we're going to end with a little story in Acts chapter 11, which is what I wanted to get to. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, it says, During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, we're not told why they came. We don't know much about them, uh, other than they set up the story of what happens. Uh, So verse 28, Agabus, one of the prophets, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted that uh, by the Spirit, so by the Holy Spirit, that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. And uh, we're told that this famine happened during the reign of Claudius. So you can look it up. So this is interesting. Agabus, a prophet. He's the same prophet, by the way, who a number of uh, chapters later is the one who prophesies that Paul is, uh, he takes his belt off his robe, ties up Paul's hands and says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be uh, uh, put in prison. Same prophet who does that. So Agabus gets up and he says, God's impressed on my heart uh, that there's a famine coming. Uh, in Jerusalem, that's what's going to happen. And, uh, and so you now have this response. But first of all, I need, you need to remember that the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the prophetic work of the Spirit, God speaking into people's lives um, through the Spirit directly, through dreams and visions, through uh, others, is a mark of the church throughout the, the Bible, throughout the New Testament. We know that happens in Acts chapter 10 when Peter sees the vision that ultimately leads to him going and meeting and teaching Cornelius, the Gentile, and Jews didn't meet with Gentiles. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, when Paul receives the Macedonian call and he is stopped, it says, by the spirit from going into Asia and ends up, because of a dream, going to Macedonia. That is how God functioned. Then that's how he functions. Now we have the Hearing God course here at SunWest because we wanna teach people that God speaks to us by his spirit And he speaks to us personally, and he speaks through people as well. Always in alignment with his word. But that is how the spirit leads repeatedly. So God speaks in a variety of ways. And that's what happened uh, through Agabus in Acts chapter 11. So Agabus says, there is a famine coming. He didn't say a famine has come. There is a famine coming. Future event. How do the people respond? Verse 29 says, so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers, brothers and sisters in Judea. And I love this. Everyone giving as much as they could. So this is an alignment with Matt taught the last couple of weeks. It's not a formula. They would have had to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to give? What does it mean for them to say we gave as much as we could? Well, that's each one answering personally the definition of as much as they could. We don't know what that is. We're not told. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. I was thinking about this. Like we do an EFT or some kind of money transfer or something. And that day it's like, okay, Barnabas and Saul, here's the money. Now you're going to have to go travel back. You gotta, it's like Matt told the story about, you know, the lady who gave him 60,000 bucks in blackie uh, in cash because she didn't trust the bank. This is kind of one of those. Except they're traveling. So I'm not sure how you stay safe in a day and age when you can't, Like there's physical challenges, material challenges to this. But that was their response. They gave as much as they could to the church in Jerusalem. Now, this is not a financial response to an observed crisis, right? That's usually how we give. We read about a problem. We hear about a problem. Some comes to us with a need. We're building churches in El Salvador. We have a need in Thailand or Myanmar, and we respond, This is a response to the prophetic word of God. It's the only time in Scripture, I think, where that is noted. It was a preemptive generosity strike for the church in Jerusalem to receive this, saying, This is coming. And so we're going to take care of you as our brothers and sisters. See, spontaneous sacrificial generosity happens because of God's transforming work in our hearts. Because we've met Jesus and we're following him. And then we work in the leading of the spirit. God, what does it mean for me to be generous? God, what does it mean for us to be generous? What is it that you have for me to do? God, what is it that you have for us to do collectively? That is the key point in this story. It is based on the leading of the spirit that comes out of our living relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the transforming work of God. And that is how we develop our generosity is is not through legalism or formula, but is actually through spending time with Jesus and gaining the heart of Jesus for what it is that we are doing. And that is when we can give with joy because we're not giving because of need, even though we see need, we're giving because God has
1: prompted us to give. And
0: if I had time this morning, I could tell you story after story of how my family has been blessed because others have followed the promptings of the Spirit in our lives over the decades. When you live increasingly like Jesus, you live with increasing joy, regardless of your income level. Remember John 3.16, for God loved the world so much that he gave And when the church is generous, when God's people are generous, I think the world actually looks at that and goes, isn't that what you guys are supposed to be doing? Isn't that what God is like? The world knows that the hallmark of God
1: is generosity. The world understands that even if
0: they don't know God. It's the beauty of God. How generous is God? John 14, verse 12 and 13, Jesus said, I tell you the truth that anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to, going to be with the Father. So Jesus' generosity will be lived out in God's people. Verse 13, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. So he's saying the answer is yes. If you are walking in my will, in my way, the answer is yes. Yes. I was trying to think, what's a great illustration of this? And I remember when my kids were, uh, I think, grade 12, 10, and 8 probably, uh, we were able to go to Mexico to an all-inclusive. You know what the best part of the whole week of an all-inclusive is? As a dad, all week I can go, yes. That's the best part. Dad, can I? Yes. But I haven't even told you. It's okay. It's yes. Can I go get my 15th Coke? Sure. Go. Right, as long, if if you're living within the boundaries of the all-inclusive, so maybe too simplistic an illustration, but if you're living within God's will, the answer is yes, is what that scripture says. If you're in alignment with what God is doing, the answer is yes. The all-inclusive, I just go, yes. I need another burger, yes. How about that stick, yes. I want to go get that, you know, that wakeboard, yeah, yes, yes. I want to go off site and go to that restaurant. No, sorry, not, not in my will. And I'm God for the week, right? So, but if it's in this place, yes, the answer is yes. I think that's what God's telling us here. And the church in Antioch experienced this incredible transforming resurrection power of Jesus. So that when the, when they heard about the problem with the mother church, and Jerusalem was the mother church. And remember, the Jerusalem, that church, just a few chapters earlier in Acts, we're told they had no need among them. But then Stephen is stoned, persecution starts, and the gospel is spread out across the Roman Empire because Christians have to run for their lives. And so the Antioch church now becomes stronger than Jerusalem church. And they go, yeah, we will definitely take care of those people. We will die. And probably a whole bunch of people from Jerusalem church were in the Antioch church. And they said, We will take care of those people. They didn't even think about it twice. They heard about it and they responded to the prophetic word. I love this quote from Leslie Newbegin who said, The church is a sign, instrument, and foretaste of the reign of God. A sign, instrument, and foretaste. When we're generous, we are a sign, instrument, and foretaste of the reign of God because God is generous because he sent Jesus. And Jesus' transforming work is what makes us generous. That is the reality, friends. And if you're stuck in financial difficulty, go to the SunWest Course. Walk and look for a community that is where you can be trusted and transparent and vulnerable. Not just about this, but about your life. Because our individualism will kill our experience of community. It'll make church hollow and empty. Because if we're individualistic, that means we are on our own. Which we were never intended to be. Ask God to lead you to the right people. Take steps of faith. And if you're in a place where you go, that's not been my experience. Or maybe even a place where, I follow Jesus, but my finances are mine. Now you're stepping on toes. Perhaps the prayer is, Jesus, take take my heart. Maybe it's for the first time. Jesus, come and be my forgiver. Come and be my leader. Come and be my friend. And initiate that relationship through that decision today. Or maybe it's, Jesus, I've done that. But this other area of my life, man, uh, this scares me. Say, Jesus, I'll take that first step. I'll go to the class. I'll talk to somebody. I'll ask some questions because I want to follow you. And I want to be marked as a generous community so that when I look at my finances for I go, God, what do you have for me this year? What do you want me to do? When we look as a church, we go, God, what is it that you would have for us to do as a church this year? That's the first question. Not what does it cost? That's the last question. But God in his strat, strategic as he is, say, this is what I want you to do. Then don't jump ahead, he says, this is how I want you to do it. This is when I want you to do it. And I'll show you how to resource it as well. It's the beauty of who God is. Let's stand for worship. So the church has done throughout history And that's why the church has always thrived uh, in the most difficult of places and which is still happening to this day. And often it's when we live in places of more comfort like North America that we often struggle because we get distracted. And God's invitation is to live in his generous love as the place to start. Say, God, what does that mean for my life? Even thinking about the families that have suffered a difficult loss. And often in those situations, we go, Lord, I don't know what to do. Well, don't even, don't call them up and say, what what do you need? Because when you're in crisis, you can't answer the question. If the Lord prompts you to drop off food, just do it. If he prompts you to write a check, do it. If you know what that is. Send an EFT. Um, Showing my age. Uh, You know, drop off food, just do it. Respond to the prompting of the spirit. That is more important than saying, did I do it right? Did I do it properly? Did I I dot the I's and cross the D's? When you honor God, when you listen to the prompting of the spirit, you honor his people and you reflect his heart. If you're in a place this morning uh, where you go, man, my finances are in trouble. Maybe you need prayer and I'll invite our prayer teams up right now. They can come. Uh, It's available. There's also the classes that are available. You can talk to a pastor. You can talk to me or talk to uh, folks here that you know. Perhaps it's a step of walking into community saying, I actually want transparent, vulnerable community and being countercultural. But God invites us to so much more than what this world says is good. It's just a shadow. What this world offers is it's an imposter. It's false. And what Jesus offers is real. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that because your father, because God loved so much, he gave. Continues to give. And he gave us you, Jesus, so we can have a new life. But because of that transforming new life, then we can give. And we can walk in faith as we recognize that we are simply stewards of everything given, that you've given to us to manage. It's not ours. And we, when we are generous, it puts a smile on your face because it reflects you to the world. And when we are struggling, you say, come to you and to your people to walk through those challenges, whether they are emotional, spiritual, or incredibly practical, financial uh, situations we're dealing with. Lord, I pray. You know, you know each person here today. You know what it is the decision that each one of us needs to make where we need to step out in faith or where we need to encourage others or where you, are say, where you are saying, well done. Well done. Walk in joy. As you reflect the bride of Christ, the church, the beauty of Jesus to the world. Be with us as we seek to live that out this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Again, prayer is available uh, at the front and uh, pastors are available for you to chat with.